guess we should get going. This is the Acme Writing Academy podcast. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Stre- stretching a bit today. We're, we're here in Menasha, Wisconsin with uh, Mike Magnuson. Yep. And Bob Clark. Hola. And yours truly, Rick Chrisman. And beaming in from Beijing, China, is Mary Helen Stefaniak. Can you hear me, Mary Helen? Yes, I can. <laughs> <laughs> I hear what, you talking, but I don't hear you saying Nihau? anything. <laughs> Keep giving you a ni hao. Ni hao. Yeah, that, works, that, works around here. <laughs> yeah, right. I thought that was a soda, like a grape ni hao. It's a grape ni hao, right. <laughs> uh, Sorry, I'm from Wisconsin. Yeah, they've chosen all of our best, stolen all of our best ideas. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. How is your uh, Mandarin? How is my Mandarin? It's yeah. small. Yeah. That means I speak Chinese. It's a lie. <laughs> uh, what exactly are you doing over there? You're, you're teaching. <laughs> that sounds bad. I know. You're teaching at, at a, a creative, <laughs> creative writing at Peking University? Uh, no, it's at Renmin University, oh, okay. which is the People's University. Right. Renmin. Right. People's like Ren- University. I am here for uh, three weeks. So this is a, a graduate level. These are Chinese students studying. Oh, no. They're American students? No, they're Chinese students, uh-huh. yes, but most of them are undergraduates. Oh, okay. And so they're just taking this three-week seminar with American creative writing expert Mary Helen Stefaniak? Yeah, I'll take that. That sounds good. <laughs> uh, yeah. And there there are um, a few students each semester or each summer who are not Chinese, who are not from Renmin University, because this is called, the program is called the International Summer School. And mm. so there are students from other parts of the world, and there are also, you know, many departments, all sorts of courses you can take from statistics and Chinese culture to um, creative writing. Well, mine is called, my course is officially called Fiction Writing and Appreciation. I guess I was first asked to do it back in 2011. And I couldn't do it then. The first time I actually was able to come and teach was in 2014. So that first year, I proposed fiction writing uh, as the course. But the um, chair of the School of Foreign Languages, which is the school that sponsors my course, uh, they wanted to add the and appreciation because they were afraid that the name fiction writing just by itself would scare people off. As well it should. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, uh, there was not a lot of creative writing taught, um, I guess, in China, um, like say five years ago and more. Mm-hmm. There's more and more, I think, each year. So are you, this, just to clarify, are you teaching this in English? Yes, yes. And then so it's and a, those they write stories in English and they read, they read English literature and so forth? Yep, yep, that's right, that's right. Because there are other international students, as I began to say, but kind of wandered away from. Um, so, you know, you can have students from the Netherlands or uh, people from Korea and Australia, you know, kind of nearby and even from the United States, there are students that come here and take these courses. I've had, I think, maybe two 
in the last, I started, as I said, in 2014. So this is my sixth year. And I've had maybe three or four American students in that time. So, you know, the language that everyone has in common in the international summer school is English. So all the students, um, all the courses are taught in English unless they're specifically Chinese courses. Ah, okay. So, oh, can you put your earbuds back on by any chance? Oh, sure. We're hearing ourselves coming back through your speakers. That's right. With technical difficulties, if this were an actual emergency, you would be given a Bloody Mary and told to go sit out by the lake. <laughs> How's that? What are your comments on sitting out by the lake, Clark? <laughs> I'm all for it. <laughs> I can kind of picture it there in the big. Is it Fond du Lac down at the bottom of it? Or Fond du Lac at the bottom. Yeah. So they always say, and, and it goes like the. In the paper industry, Appleton makes the paper. Oshkosh was the place where they pulped it and brought the wood in, and I don't know what they say about uh, Fond du Lac. What does Fond du Lac mean? Found the lake? <laughs> Bottom of the lake or base of the lake? Yeah, yeah, doesn't it? Found the lake. <laughs> no, I thought he was, I'm fond of lakes. I'm fond of lakes. Yeah, I like lakes. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Aren't you glad we're, you're not teaching us? <laughs> I bet your kids pay really close attention, don't they? Uh, yes, because they're you know English is kind of a struggle, so they're right. trying to catch it. You know, I mean, some people are are you have a wide range of people. Some people, you know, maybe have studied in the UK or in Australia or even in the United States, and so their English is very uh, fluent and they don't have any trouble. But a lot of the students have only taken English in school here, so you mm. know. Imagine I don't know whatever class, whatever language you took, you know, in high school, trying to take a course in that language. You know, when you get to college, it's um, a struggle. Although the Chinese are way ahead of us in learning the language of the other. You know. Um, so, yep. do you do like a, a, a workshop format, or do you lecture, or how how what's the process that you get these kids to write stuff? Well, I do some. Uh, I guess you would call it lecture. You know, we have mm -hmm. a computer station in the classroom with a screen so I can put things that are on my computer, the story that we're discussing or, you know, a paragraph I want them to look at. Um, I can put that up on the screen so that they can see what I'm talking about, which is good. And I write on the board a lot, which is old fashioned, but I do it anyway. Um, so I do talk to them and, uh, they talk a little bit. Again, it depends on how much English they have, how much they're willing to talk. Uh, and then, yeah, they write things. And uh, we do a lot of small group workshop. And um, do, do I, they, I, yeah. Do they critique do. each other? Do they critique each other's uh, pieces like we do in a conventional workshop? Yes, they do this uh, kind of small group workshop. We can't because there are 24 people in the class. There's, I usually have between 24, say, and 30 students in the class. So we can't really do a, you know, workshop with the whole group for everybody. So uh, we often look at one person's, um, you know, one or two students work as an example. Mm -hmm. And then uh, they workshop in small groups. Now, do they write uh, little pieces of flash fiction or just... 
story ideas or what what gets shared? Actually, in my class, we write four exercises and then they write a complete short story. And we only have eight classes. So, you know, mm. you're kind of limited. Mm-hmm. But um, some of the exercises are kind of modeled on a story that we've written or I mean, read a story that we've read. So one of the stories we read, I'm always looking for very short stories, not not flash fiction, which, which I could do, but I haven't done flash fiction. Mm-hmm. But I need short things so that they can read them and it isn't, you know, excessively burdensome uh, right. for them to get right. it read. But uh, so we read Bullet in the Brain by oh, Tobias Wolf. Yeah. Great story. Wow. Yeah, it is a great story, and there are a lot of things you can learn from it about uh, point of view and about scene and summary, you know, because it sort of starts with a scene in the bank, and then it kind of summarizes the guy's whole life by telling you everything he doesn't remember, and then it goes back to a scene that is a memory from his childhood. This is while uh, the bullet's going into his brain, right? All the time that the bullet, yeah, is going through his brain. That's when it, it... it causes various synapses to flash, calling to mind uh, something he hasn't thought about in 40 years, which is an afternoon of uh, pickup game of baseball, which I, you know, enjoy, uh, in which uh, um, a, a kid from the South, uh, a kid is asked, well, what position do you want to play? And the boy uh, is from, I think, from Mississippi. And so he says, why, well, I want to play shortstop. Shorts, the best position they is. And the yeah. they is uh, strikes the, the, car- the Anders' ear, and um, it's what makes him fall in love with language. And his long career as a, ch- as a boy and his long career as a critic has turned him into this savage, you know, hater of people who write books. <laughs> so, um, you know, a childhood experience that makes you understand Anders and what he has lost. So Anders the is the character. Is, and just, pardon? Anders is the character. Anders is the character. I'm sorry. Right. Yes. Have you guys read Bullet in the Brain? Do you know this story? Yes. I, I don't know. Okay, it's basically, uh, it's, it's uh, this kind of mouthy guy is in a bank, and the bank's being robbed, and he's giving him, the guy a lot of shit and uh, uh, a lot of arrogant stuff, and the guy shoots him. And as, as the bullet goes into his brain time slows down and you get this whole internal panorama of this guy like Mary Helen's talking about mm-hmm. his his memories and insights and stuff as the bullet is slowly working its way you know, oh my towards God. towards the cortex it's really I, that's a fair summary right yes although what you get is not his memories you get first you get everything he does not remember the narrator tells you he does not remember this. He does not remember that. You know, his wife and his career. Oh, and, so it, go, it pulls uh, out and goes omniscient? Uh, yes. Yeah. It tells you everything he does not remember. It tells you everything that in a phrase he would have abhorred. Uh, everything His life passes before his eyes, <laughs> but it doesn't really pass before his eyes it's every, because he doesn't remember it. But then the particular path of the bullet through his brain causes him to have this one particular memory mm-hmm. of this afternoon playing baseball, hearing the kids say they right. essentially say there is with a southern accent, right. which comes okay. out they is, which is beautiful and wonderful to his ear because it's new and surprising. And um, and so that's how it goes. And then he do, dies. Do your, but, well, kid, he do, you, do your kids uh, do your kids understand like the nuance of the of the dialect? 
no, no, I have to explain it. Yeah. But uh, I have to explain that what the, that he's really saying there is, but it sounds like they is, and that particular combination of words is something that one doesn't usually hear. And mm-hmm. since Anders is a jaded literary critic, um, and what he's doing is he's critiquing the bank robbers, which is why they shoot him in the head. Right. Uh, he's critiquing their dialogue and stuff, so they shoot him in the head. And uh, uh, this memory takes him back to this, you know, new experience or the surprising language. Yeah, I can hear is that. Is that the dishes, right. or is that, or is it, am I getting mic distortion? I think Mike's in the kitchen. Or maybe a, you making coffee? <laughs> where'd you Where'd you go to dinner tonight? I have coffee. Pardon? Did you say? Did Pardon you go me? out to dinner tonight? I'm sure you did. Uh, no, we did not go to dinner, but we did go for drinks. <laughs> uh, it was somebody's birthday, and so we went to the Great Leap Brewery, which <laughs> is uh, you know like craft brewery in a hutong. Oh, nice! Uh, and um, it's. Uh, they make, you know, all the, it's like, just like a craft brewery anywhere. Lots of beers with funny names. It's a place that you'll find a lot of um, Westerners in. You know, the, many places that we go in Beijing, we don't, you don't ever see another Western face, even though it's right. Beijing. But, you know, mm-hmm. Beijing is a really big place. And on the Renmin University campus, you don't see a lot of Western faces, although you see some, like mine, for example. But uh, I don't know if you. We go out into the city, you don't encounter a lot of uh, Westerners, except at Great Leap Brewery, you do. Yeah, no, I remember that too. I remember being surprised when I was going there in the early two thousands, and I'd I'd walk into a park. You know, parks are just great over there. You ever go for yeah. walks in the park, and you've got the they have a choir singing up somewhere, and people doing Western swing dancing and. Yes, it's like the happiest yes. place on earth, All right? But I would be the only Westerner in the park, you know, out of thousands of people. Because I think, you know, a lot of people go to China, they, they do the tourist route. And, you know, you go to Shanghai, there's a lot of, lot of European influence. But, you know, Beijing is the heart of the heart, right? You're yeah. deep in the People's Republic in yeah, the middle yeah, of the yeah. Middle Kingdom. And what year were you here? What years were you here, from, Rick? From 2001 and then my last trip was just before the 2008 Olympics. I'd go over oh. about four times a year. And uh, I was a consultant. Do you ever watch the English TV channel, CCTV English or whatever it is? No, I should, but yeah. I guess. Anyhow, I, I was a consultant for them, and they, they, the, I was hired to redo all of their TV music, you know, their themes and everything. Ah. So. You know, I would have. They'd set me up with an orchestra in Beijing, and I'd oh, cool. have to record with these guys. and And I did a little bit of education. I'd go to the Central Conservatory. I had a friend there who was a professor, and we would record our who and uh, uh-huh. the other instruments. And we were working on a project where I had I was doing basically traditional American string band music, uh-huh. old Susanna, et cetera. And, oh, well, that's very traditional. And uh, using an arhu instead of a fiddle. And so oh. we, would, we would go there and I would be, sort of like give a little recording seminar with the students and we'd record the arhu and show them how to mix and stuff like that. It was very hard to get any traction with these guys, to get any sense of, you know, they would sit and observe, not really say anything, not 
take much initiative. Um, you've, you kind of felt like you were speaking to this. Uh, very hard to say what kind of impact you were having. Do, you, do, you, do your students, do they kind of jump at ideas and, and, and assert themselves, or do they, are they more passive than the students you're used to working with? Well, a few of them, uh, I would say each summer there are, you know, three, maybe two or three students in the class who, uh, who jump at ideas, who talk, you know, and, a, and a, a big part of it is that they're the students who are comfortable in English, you know, there, so there's that, that's a big factor. Um, I, all of, all of, they mostly, once in a while you have students who aren't paying attention at all, who kind of sit in the back, you know, with their phones and, um, don't pay attention, but most of them pay seem to be paying attention fiercely uh, to try again. I think it's to follow, you know, follow the English. Uh, they may not speak up in the class as a large group, but they're not afraid to come up to me, you know, in the break because you have a nice half hour break in the middle of your your uh, two and a half hour, three and a half hour class, and people um, come up and ask questions and you know have ideas. They're, that they're willing to express to me individually that they don't do in the group. Yeah. So. Right, right. Um, do, you, do you have, um, I don't suppose you have anything you can read to us that, that would probably be betraying a confidence to read some of the stuff that they've written? Uh, well, I could probably, maybe I could read you something. I, you know, they're, um, they're really big on description. Um, yeah, I was trying, oh, I started to tell you, I was t saying about the bullet in the brain story that the exercise we do that spins off of that is to write a childhood memory because, um, uh, the memory that, uh, the Anders, the main character has, it begins, this is what he remembered, heat, insect, the whir of insects the smell of grass, a dog barking, you know, that sort of thing. And then they get into the story of the boys playing um, baseball uh, and the students write a little memory from their own childhood. That is, um, uh, that's like the first assignment that they do. And then eventually um, many of them work that memory into the complete short story that they write. And I, uh, having said all that, let's see. Um, I don't know. I did have something marked here. I, oh, I thought I could, um, I'm not going to read a big passage, but just, you know, you'll just get an idea of, I'll just read three sentences from a story, um, that's, uh, kind of about a, uh, a rift, a rupture between two, uh, best friends. So this will give you an idea of a Chinese student writing English. Whenever there were footsteps passing by my side, the cool face was my mask. But there were sea waves raging in my heart as I waited to see who would approach me. I like that. I think that I really like that. Every time, I love that, the yeah, sea yeah. waves. Every yeah. time they only passed by, nobody ever stopped to talk to me. With burning heat in my heart, I decided to stand up, marching toward a girl uh, in my third o'clock position, what she means by marching toward a girl in my third o'clock, third o'clock position is that the girl is at three o'clock 
relative to me. Oh, <laughs> so um, that's kind of a um, a, a sweet thing. Um, and then, and now, what what was your comment on that on that sentence? Well, in my third o'clock position, I'm afraid I have written in the margin a little awkward. <laughs> <laughs> So you do the same thing there you do here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, same kind of thing. Well, I because I um, I would explain that to her. I would explain that to her talking. I wouldn't try to write it, you know, all down. Um, partly because I have 24 students and they meet every other day, you know, and they've, they've all written an assignment for each class. So there are limits to how much you can write in the margin. You're my third o'clock position. I'm my third o'clock position. She was at three o'clock, you know. Yeah, yeah, she was yeah. kitty corner, sitting kitty corner, is I guess maybe the way you, uh, you we might say. Um, I like this. Uh, this is funny because this is another one that has that same feel of lots of description. See, this one is begins like this. It's written by a, a student named uh, George. And uh, I mean, that's his English name. They all take an English. Well, no, they don't yes. all take an English name, but many of them do. And uh, it says. Um, was I a naughty child? In fact, I didn't think so. I just liked moving. That is all. And you know that on a hot summer night, it was not easy to fall asleep. Um, moonlight shines on the big bed. My grandmother always sang for me before I fell asleep. This is what I remember. But that night, grandma was not here. Mom and I were watching TV in the living room. I did not understand why there were always a lot of people on the screen doing dull things. They just talked and talked at any time. There was always a woman who was crying <laughs> um, on the TV. Wow. And, that sounds like Bologna. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then he sounds like he ends up using the woman crying in the story a number of times. He's, he makes sure it's not his mother crying as he goes off on oh. his adventures, that it's the woman crying on TV. Uh, and those are both, I mean, both of those that I read, actually, one was maybe by a Korean student. And the second one was by a Chinese student who comes from a small uh, village. And so when I asked, when I asked the students, I said, I'm going to be talking to some people about teaching creative writing in China. So how about if you, you know, do me a favor and answer a few questions for me. And so I asked them how many of them had taken a creative writing course before. And out of the 24, only two had taken a creative writing course ever. You know, you know what I, I was really appreciated about the examples that you read was their, their command of syntax, you know, like, what little you know of Chinese, I mean, the, the way the language is structured between them and us, I mean, that that was nice. They had, you know, it wasn't just subject, object, you know, sub, sub adjective, subject, object. It yeah. was, you know, nest, nested clauses and so forth. Because, you know, like you think about Chinese, and you probably know enough about enough Chinese to realize how, um, what a fu fundamentally different language it is. It's so efficient. It is like, very efficient. Like, uh, like you say, you know, it's a very common thing to say to greet somebody. It's a cliche, and when you learn Chinese, the expression they teach you is ni baba mama shanti hao ma, which means you're inquiring about a person's, the health of a person's parents. Mm. And it's ni, you, so ni baba mama shanti hao ma. Literally translated is you, father, mother, health, 
good question mark. That's the, literally the sentence. <laughs> so, I the like fa- that. That cuts all the crap. It cuts all the crap. I mean, you, you, <laughs> there's rarely a verb to be. There's Usually there's not singular or plural. The, the, the past and present, same verb, you know. Yeah, the little, verbs don't change for anything. No, there, you know, there's I've no, had, con- uh, no I have conjugation. Had students writing in English from America who've made all the same mistakes over the years. <laughs> <laughs> there's never a verb. There's never a verb, right? Those are <laughs> yeah, how different to skip is ahead. that? It's not that different. Um, but they're, I, I'm always telling them uh, that I'm how impressed I am with them, you know, and how amazing it is to me that in class, Sitting in class, I can give them an in-class assignment and even just the challenge of writing it, you know. I mean, they're accustomed to either, if they're using letters, they're mostly accustomed to typing. And when they handwrite, they use characters, you know. So, uh, and I give them an in-class assignment um, and they they just write it, by gosh, you know. <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm very impressed uh, that they're able to do that. So, so they know that. And also, I do not... I don't grade them on uh, uh, on their English, so to speak. It's not a course in how to write good English. It's a course in how to write good stories. And so they learn. I grade them on, you know, do they give me a character that I can believe in and care about? You know, do they create the world of the story on the page, you know, vividly enough so that I can imagine it? Does the story, you know, have a conflict or desire driving it and that sort of thing so that's that's what we look at in the stories that we read and that's what i uh expect them you know to be able to to do and the little the exercises we do um if they want to they can almost put them together like uh legos and end up with a draft of a story you know if they Mm -hmm. they don't always do that Tell me, is attending the university free? Is the university free? Um, you know, yeah. uh, tuition? Or? Yeah, I I think so, but you know, I don't know. Um, I don't know for sure. I think mm. that it is. Uh, is only you you. I do know that when you want to go to university, you know, you have a lot of exams that you have to keep qualifying. Uh, passing exams as you go through school from elementary school on and people get kind of weeded out if they um, uh, uh, do badly on these exams. Uh, I also know that you can only go, for the most part, the universities are are sort of uh, regional. So if you're from Beijing, you can get into Renmin University or Peking University or a number of lots of universities in this city. If you're not from Beijing or the surrounding um, area, uh, there's a very small number, relatively speaking, of students from other parts of the country who can come to university in uh, Beijing. And then that same thing is true in other, you know, in other cities. So the Mm -hmm. university really kind of like a neighborhood school. You know, I mean, the neighborhood is large. It includes many villages and so forth. But. Um, but it is really kind of like a neighborhood school. And so that, you know, mm. some people come from outside the neighborhood, but most of the people um, kind of have a right to go here if they pass all the right exams, if they right. live in the area. I would think with the uh, population as large as China's, they probably don't, uh, it, it, it might be necessary to 
keep everybody kind of, okay, you're from this area. We're, <laughs> we don't need any more influx into, uh, you know, Beijing. I don't know. Uh, it would seem like, uh, you know, they want people to kind of stay in the areas where they're, where they're from. I don't, I don't know what the population is over there. What is it, about 3 billion or something like that? About 1.7 billion, maybe. 1.7 billion. Maybe it's India where I'm thinking of 3 billion. I know, I know the population of Beijing is about 20 million. Wow. 20 million. That's yeah. a lot of humanity. <clears throat> you know, the, the last time we talked to you, or two times ago, we were asked about, we were asking about your writing schedule and how you adhere to it and how you, you know, you're talking about traveling between your two homes and, but still maintaining the schedule. And, and one of our listeners who I think, you know, Stephanie Lilligard, uh, wrote in and said, she just thought it was fascinating to find, you know, to, to hear how a real writer structures their life and uh, makes it happen no matter what. So my question here is, you still get up and write four hours a morning <laughs> or whatever it is you do while you're in China? Well, I don't want, I don't want to deluge, uh, you know, to um, disillusion uh, Stephanie. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, I do get up real early here. But what I do is I go to Tai Chi, <laughs> Tai Chi group. Ah, great. And um, In the park? I barely manage to uh, kind of write about things that I want to write about that happened that day. You know, kind of journal writing um, is what I do here. Uh, although there have been um, other years when I was uh, kind of right in the middle of something when I would set aside time to work on, on, you know, a fiction project, like a novel that was already underway. But um, uh, that I'm not doing that now. I'm uh, like writing, um, writing about what's going on here. So I won't forget. That's what I do when I travel. Yeah, I, when yeah. I travel, like I just travel try to, you know, right. I don't have a lot of time, really, because I teach the three days a week, and it's all afternoon. And then I didn't tend to spend all morning, um, uh, and usually, you know, the evening before preparing for that. So um, there's not a lot of time. Plus, I have to go to Tai Chi, and that takes a couple of hours every morning. <laughs> go to so, my, you know, so uh, what, you guys have any uh, any questions for our correspondent in Beijing? No, we're like, a, you, you guys were, you know, you're the Chinese experts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's we're the Chinese. We're, we're, we're the oh, one-eyed. Yeah. One yeah. yeah. Well, I got a couple of things I was just going to tell you. <laughs> Okay, well, good. <laughs> They're little little cultural things. Uh, you know, a lot of people wear uh, T-shirts with with American, with English language stuff on it. And that doesn't, four, five years ago, most of it, was, a lot of it was misspelled and didn't make sense, you know. Um, and that's mm -hmm. not so true anymore. That's not not, not true. Um, and so that, you know, you see an Abercromb Abercrombie and Fitch t-shirt or a star wars t-shirt or a beatles or converse or queen queen is big because of the bohemian rhapsody movie but um oh. uh but to me one of the most amazing things was in somebody's story they used the expression in the dialogue they used the expression easy peasy you know where you say something is <laughs> have you ever heard that i had never heard that till i yeah yeah, yeah easy yeah. peasy oh yeah, yeah. Easy, I, ne easy, I easy. thought it was a Nebraskan thing. I, you know, I'd never heard of it in Wisconsin, actually, in the old days. And uh, it's on easy, TV easy, all the that time. That really uh, kind of blew my mind. Mm -hmm. 
Wait, your student used that in a, in a, in a story? story? Yeah, characters said, it's no problem, easy peasy. So I thought, whoa. And then uh, the other thing is everybody says uh, on the messaging, you know, you use this uh, instead of Facebook, they have WeChat. And you, it's also your text messaging um, app. And uh, everybody says instead of, yeah, got it, you know, they, you, you might, somebody might give you a message and you say, okay, I got it. Everybody says, copy that copy that. You know, it's funny when I was going over there, I, I was always somebody who'd say, gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. And I had like my guy over there who yeah. I worked with the whole time. Yeah. We can't, we ended up being good friends. We travel all over the country together and it was, we'd known each other for a couple of years. And finally he looked at me, he says, what is this word that you use gotcha. called that says, gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> and then he was, he was particularly, fascinated by uh american idioms uh and it, it's funny when you start thinking i speak very idiomatically without even realizing it and so i'd have to like consciously kind of simplify my way of speaking because pe people would know it. and and one one day i was somehow the expression uh you know the expressions i can smell the barn yeah you know it's like you're riding on your horse you're riding right, out. Right. You can do speed. You can. Speed. And then when when you're coming back, when the horse smells the barn, his energy picks up and he, and he takes off. Right. And so, um, I told my friend Wang Xi about this. And so, uh, one one day I was waiting in the lobby of the hotel for the car to take me to the airport, and I was meeting with about fifteen of the show's producers. And the show producers they were like these young girls, mostly in their late teens or early twenties, and. Uh, you know, they would they would hang on every word. And we're sitting there, and I, I guess I was visibly tired. And this one little girl looks over to me, and she says, Excuse me, Mr. Rick, are you smelling the barn? <laughs> uh. Oh, that's very funny. She got it right, huh? Isn't that charming? Yes, it is. She really got it right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Let me ask you a, a writing question. Uh, we were discussing in one of our... Uh, recording sessions yesterday about uh, how easy it is to get out of uh, sync with your writing schedule. You know, you, uh, it, it, myself, I have a certain time every day where I try to be at my desk getting something done. And uh, get away from that, that, that uh, repetition do you find it? Uh, you you've said you said earlier you you really don't have time to uh, work on anything. You're too busy teaching. When you come back to the states, is it do you just hit the ground running and right back to where you you were, or does it take you a while the adjustment? And I'm not talking about jet lag, of course, but the yeah, adjustment yeah. of okay, we're on the other side of the world now. I'm back in my home environment. It, how does it take you a while to really get back where you feel like, okay, here I am, I'm, I'm back into my routine again? Mm, no, I think after, uh, apart from a couple of days of, of jet lag and uh, I think uh, I, my writing time is really very, uh, I don't know, it's like a refuge. It's funny, I don't hit the mm -hmm. ground running. I I sit down, you know, I mean, I really have, right. I have, right. uh, I kind of sit down into it and, uh, I, it's something I kind of need, need to do. So it's something I miss when it's not there. You know, I kind of actively okay. miss it when it's not there as I, uh, the time, you know, the, the schedule 
So I'll uh, I'll go right back to it. Yep, time. Yeah. For, do you, do you work on uh, separate projects at the same time? Yes. You know, I alternating, do. of course, you do. Mm -hmm. I do. Yes, I do. Um, you know, I mean, sometimes you might get going on something and work on just that one thing for uh, right. weeks or even months at a time. But normally, I'm uh, I've always got something else I'm also working on, so that if at least one other thing, so that if I feel whatever, you know, obstructed, I hate to say, I don't right. like, the, I don't like writer's block. I don't, right. I don't like to believe in it. But if I find uh, myself, you know, not, not making a lot of progress here or just, you know, need some, a change of pace, I uh, will work on another thing. I always have several things yeah. I could turn to. Cool. Maybe that's why I don't finish them very fast. <laughs> <laughs> only work on one right. at a time. <laughs> Sometimes I'll work on two things at once, and when I work on the one thing, I feel like I'm cheating on the other thing. Yeah, well, that's good though, isn't it? You want to feel like it's good. It builds energy. It's like yeah. it's it's like rock and roll insouciance. You know, it's like oh, I'm not going to work on that. I'm going to work on this. Yeah, good. For me, it's just walking and chewing bubble gum. That's the <laughs> that's the challenge. Those are my two things. <laughs> once I can get that down, I'm good. <laughs> So, yeah, so we're up here at uh, Acme um, headquarters remote in Menasha. So Bob and Mike and I are here for, well, Mike's here for all the time because it's his house, but we're here for four days. Fun. And a bunch of other friends are showing up to celebrate Bastille Day tomorrow ah. because we're all we're all French, of course. Oui, oui. Oui, oui. Fond du lac. <laughs> there you I'm go. fond of the lake. <laughs> we're going to be fond of the lake. Yeah, we sit here and just... I'm, we're staring out the window now at the beautiful lake in the in the day, and I think Mike's got his bike clothes on. You're gonna go for a ride, just for a little bit. We have there. There's the cycling community is visiting us, and they needed to be piloted to where they're gonna go for a real ride. So. Oh, oh, a lot of bicycles oh, in Beijing. Not as many as in years past, but lots of bicycles here. Oh, I bet. Uh, yeah. I've, do you have you ever biked in Beijing? Nope. nope. It's Scared fun. To. I've, I've crossed fun. the streets here, and that's convinced me that I should Crossings. not bicycle. That's enough. Yeah. You have to. Uh, the only way I could, when I first got there, the only way I could get across the street was I'd find some some little old lady, and I would attach myself to her, and then she would see the gaps, and I would just bounce along behind her to get across the street. <laughs> yeah. Any number of types of vehicles are are wired up together out there. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. You know, it's interesting, and we're going to wrap it up soon, I think, but I just was thinking about the how you were part of the modernization of China so yeah. much. Like there was a time, you know, under Mao, the Cultural Revolution, where engaging in any kind of creative writing was dangerous. Like like the woman who I used to work with over there, her father was in the military uh, during the Cultural Revolution, and he wrote poetry on the on the sly, mm -hmm. and they found out that he was writing poetry. And they sent him out to a factory for seven years, took him away from his family, wow. sent him out there for, for reconstruction, you know? Right. It's a, for writing, right. A, writing a poem. Yeah. Well, I guess and now look at you, teaching, teaching people bullet in the brain. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. To have people <laughs> read that, that's pretty, uh, pretty amazing. And even uh, um, the, the, the fact that, there are creative writing courses taught. I mean, I don't know if that's a sign of the advance of civilization or, 
or what? <laughs> the decline. But, uh, or, or the opposite. Time. <laughs> but yeah. um, uh, again, five years ago, when I first started doing this, the, I, I spoke uh, at a conference. They held, were holding a conference on campus here for teachers of creative writing, uh, or for, to teach people how to teach creative writing in high schools and colleges. And it was kind of a new, new idea, a new concept, as it was when I was a, a student in high school. There was no, and in college, there were in college there were no creative writing classes all those many decades ago. So um, it takes, uh, it's kind of a relatively new thing um, to offer it here. Of all the students in my class, only two said they had ever taken another. Of, of out of 25 students. Two said they had once taken a creative writing course, you know, one in high school and, and so on. So, um, well, they are they are certainly in very good hands and fortunate to have you uh, over there. Oh, I have to this tell you, great. the best thing about teaching creative writing or anything in, uh, at a Chinese university is the students applaud at the end of class. Oh, yeah. Of course they do. Yeah. Mike, they're glad it's over, but, you know, you can interpret it any way you want. <laughs> that has seriously happened to me in America, though, believe it or not. You know, and I'm, I'm a shitty teacher, I'm sure, or whatever, but I've gotten the end of workshops and, like, they're like, you know. yeah. <laughs> I'm not kidding, you know. It's over. And they're probably, they're so happy to never see me again. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's why I say, you know, it could, you can interpret it any way you want. <laughs> but they do. So remember the old, the old uh, nice. art saying, don't just applaud, send money. That's how you get it. Yeah, yeah, that's good. I do also want to say I have a couple. I always have at least a couple of, even though this is just kind of a general purpose summer creative writing course, there's always somebody who, who seems particularly talented. You know, one or two people, I think, even though they're writing not in their own language, you can just tell they're really... They're really good. Are, are you going to have a reading, a reading at the end of your uh, three weeks? Am I giving a, a reading and a, a reading and a party and no, you know, <laughs> no, 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 I'm no, no, I'm just, just eat some dumplings and go home. I'm a teacher. Lao Shu. Lao Shu, right? Which which literally means old thing. Yeah, old, exactly. Lao. <laughs> Lao. Lao means old, and that's like the greatest term of respect. Well, any parting thoughts? You're any? probably, what, it's 12? Yeah, it's 1230 12 at night. Here. Yeah, it's, it's already tomorrow. Bastille Day here. Happy <laughs> <laughs> Bastille Day. Yeah. <laughs> How's it going? I know All right, well, I think we're going to let you get back to your extremely interesting life and uh, we're going to return to our state of semi-stasis oh i don't know your life sounds pretty good to me perch and <laughs> lake yeah. sounds pretty good well thanks for joining us thanks for staying up late well you're welcome and thanks us. for figuring out the technicalities so that we could we could talk i think i think we got it all all right so what's the word for goodbye is zaijian yeah zaijian Zai Jen. Zai Jen. Yeah. yeah. Zai Jen. Okay. Thanks, Mary Okay. I'm going to hang on the flip side. Out. All right. Bye, guys. Be nice well. meeting you, Bob. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You too. So that's it for uh, uh, Mary Helen and today's Acme. Thank you all for uh, sticking around. Happy Bastille Day, everybody. And uh, till next time, happy writing. Bye.